You're listening to. And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Rayu. And we are here today with an author chat with Andrew Yang, the author of Not Here to Make Friends, a YA um, coming of age story um, revolving around an Asian American centered reality TV show. Um, as always, our podcast is supported by our listeners at patreon.com slash books and boba. Um, so if you are so inclined, please support us to gain access to not only our exclusive members only Discord server, but also to our monthly bonus Boba Chat episodes. On our latest Boba Chat, we had um, our friend Jessica Kim, uh, the author of Stand Up Yumi Chung and Make a Move Sunny Park on the show. Uh, we had a really great chat with her about travel and all sorts of fun stuff. So definitely check it out if you are a Honey Boba supporter. But yeah, uh, we had a really great chat with Andrew. We talked to him about his inspirations um, and journey into becoming a published author, as well as his inspirations for um, his book, Not Here to Make Friends. Um, we were and Andrew spent some time geeking out about Terrace House. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Andrew Yang. here with Andrew Yang, the author of I'm Not Here to Make Friends, a lovely title, by the way. Uh, Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. So yeah, it's really cool to get to meet you guys. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if um, it's it's always a little little weird for us to talk to people who listened to us before because um, I still live in a like a, a hermit-like state where I don't think anyone listens to our podcast, even though I see I do see the numbers. But uh, thank you for thank you for listening and thank you for coming on the show. Um, we're happy to have. I will you. say, I mean, this is like a fun tidbit behind the scenes. Like we had to double check that you weren't the other Andrew Yang. Oh, like the the person, the mayoral candidate from New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does it feel to like have like? A semi-famous name now do you get mistaken a lot when you like send out your your emails to people uh i enjoy it i think it's kind of fun um <laughs> yeah like my coworkers when i joined the company they sent me like the andrew yang 2020 memes and stuff <laughs> like that um the funniest was there was one time i went to a restaurant it was a uh, 886 like a taiwanese restaurant in new york and when i showed up the the hostess was like oh so you're andrew yang like we were hoping it was the other one because <laughs> they saw my name through the, the reservation. Um, yeah. I think the other, the candidate Andrew Yang is actually, he has a book coming out soon too about like, it's like a tech sci-fi dystopian novel. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I think we got the pitch for it too. Yeah. So that was like a really weird timing. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Um, I guess we love to start off our author chats, as you may know, with the most basic of Asian American creative questions, which is, um, how did you how did you get started writing? How did you become a published author? Like, what was your journey like? Sure, yeah. Um, I guess, like, the first beginnings of that were probably when I was, um, like, an elementary school student. Um, I was a big reader. And back then, I loved reading fantasy, um, probably as my most favorite genre. So I would write fan fiction for um, the Aragon series, like, uh, the uh, Aragon Eldest, like, that, that fantasy series. It's, like, about a a boy who like finds a dragon egg and becomes a dragon rider, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, those were kind of like the earliest beginnings, I guess. But when I first started to like really dream of like writing a a book and publishing it was in high school. Um, I had an English teacher, Miss Kroll, shout out Miss Kroll, who, um, she kind of like mixed in a lot of creative writing assignments, um, into her, into her teaching. And I think that's kind of like how I really like developed a passion for, creative writing. And I still remember like on the last day of the school year, um, like when I was kind of saying goodbye to all my teachers, she said something to me that I still remember that kind of plant seed. She, she just said sort of randomly, we had never talked about this before, but she was like, I look forward to reading your book someday. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like one of those moments that you have with like a teacher that for me, it really stuck with me. And I think like basically ever since then I started thinking about it, like, kind of dreaming about it a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, never really put it into practice or anything. Um, just kind of had it in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, I was always a big reader and I guess like around 2018, like two years after I graduated college, randomly as a new year's resolution, I was like, you know, I've kind of dreamed about writing for so long. Let me start just trying to actually have a writing habit as part of my life. Um, just, you know, for this new year's resolution. And so, yeah, that's how things really started of me actually starting to write consistently and trying to learn how to write fiction. Um, and yeah, I just was kind of just trying to write stories, um, like as much as I could since then. And then once the pandemic started and we were all stuck at home, I guess that's when I finally kicked into the gear of like trying to learn about the publishing industry. Um, at that point I had a manuscript finished for a YA book. So I was like learning about the, like the, the literary agents and like the querying process and stuff like that. I listened to a ton of podcasts. Um, so I, that's kind of how I fell in love with the kind of like these book podcasts and just trying to listen to them as much as I could. Um, and yeah, around that time, I was also watching a ton of reality TV, um, you know, as one does. Uh, so I was watching a ton of like Terrace House and Selling Sunset and other more trashy ones that I won't expose myself on. Um, <laughs> and kind of like was brewing the idea for this particular project. And um, I think like one of the big inspirations was I read this essay written by the writer Gia Tolentino about her time um, on like this really, I, I don't, I, I'm sure they don't make this anymore, but it was like an MTV reality show, I think called boys versus girls. Um, and I think that essay really sparked my imagination as far as like trying to write a story set on a reality show um, that kind of like has like all of the splashy, like silly elements that you'd expect from a story about a reality show, but that, hopefully by the end actually kind of sneaks in a lot of character development and um, like kind of once, once you're at the end, looking back on the story, you're kind of like, Oh yeah. Like, wow, this person really went on quite a journey through the medium of this show. Um, So yeah, that's kind of when the ideas came together and I started writing this book. Your day job is being a coder, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a day job as a software engineer. That's right. It's it's completely different from creative writing. So I'm just curious, like, did you take creating writing workshops or classes on your free time? Um, in college, I took a poetry class <laughs> and in high school, I, I took like some summer creative writing classes. Um, so that's kind of like the formal stuff that I've done. But other than that, it's mostly just me like alone in my, you know, my room writing on my little Google Doc. Um, just oh, trying so classic to practice. It out. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool though. I mean, did you, what other resources did you consult to like kind of develop your, your craft? If say one of our listeners is someone who has an interest in creative writing, but did not go to say a MFA program or study in undergrad or even have access to classic, like, what would you, where would you direct them to? Like. For sure. Yeah. There, um, definitely over the years, I've read like a couple of, of random kind of like those those books about writing like um the elements of style is like a pretty famous one i think by like uh eb white um that just have general rules about writing sentences and traditional wisdom like like don't use the passive voice you know like stuff like that like sentence structure and whatnot so i think some of those lessons i've tried to absorb little by little just from reading those but i think the thing that i draw like more from is just finding books that i really really like and kind of like uh, subconsciously trying to like take in some aspects of what makes those books so engaging to read. Like, I guess I, for YA, I really like like a fast, like sit down, start reading and, and get through a hundred pages, like just like that type of uh, type of a read. And so I think just like reading a bunch of those and kind of like I guess studying like, okay, they, they write in this type of voice, the sentences and kind of like the paragraphs are structured in a certain way that make it, uh, that you kind of hit these like moments using like the structure and the, the way the sentences are written, I guess, like just trying to absorb a lot of that, um, just through reading. Yeah. I, I read a lot and I try to, I try to like have my reading and my writing, like kind of, uh, inform each other, I guess. That makes sense. Just because you have to read your own work so much and like that's how you like learn about your tendencies and uh, try to correct them. 
over time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, writing a whole novel just seems such a daunting task for me, a podcaster. So I, I applaud you for your your uh, your achievements, I guess. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I lied earlier when I said the most basic question is how you became a writer. Because the most basic Asian American creative question is actually, how do your parents feel about you publishing books? Yeah, that's a really funny question. I feel like, you know, all throughout my childhood and into like high school and college, the advice was very much like, you know, it's like the classic, like you, you first have to make sure you're okay financially. Like if I would express some type of interest in like art or, you know, like maybe I'll be an English major, you know, they try to swoop in and shut it down pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. So I think I was always like pretty heavily influenced both like overtly and like kind of uh, subconsciously into trying to like, you know, study the sciences or engineering or something like this. Um, But they were also like very supportive of me being a reader. Um, You know, they're the ones who got me into reading, like buying my first books, um, you know, taking me to Barnes and Noble so I could buy novels that I wanted to read. Um, So I definitely feel like they are the ones who gave me my love of reading as well. so, yeah, it's 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 kind of like, I guess, uh, double-edged kind of a thing. Um, but when I told them that I was, uh, like, trying to write seriously and, and get a book published, I think my dad, he's pretty chill. Like, he was kind of like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But my mom was definitely like, all right, you better not let this take away from your job. Like, your job is your main thing. Like, you can't let this. Don't be, like, one of those people that just stops working and kind of, like, um, lets their career fall apart because they have this side thing. Like, don't get too into it. Don't get too into it, basically. (laughs) And I think she was like that all the way through basically the entire process until I finally had, like, the physical advanced reader copy to give to her. And she started reading it. Um, And she's not really a reader. Um, So, like, reading my book was probably, like, one of the few novels that she's read, at least in English. but when she started reading it, I was like home for vacation and she was reading it while I was there. Like every day, like a couple of times per day, she'd, she'd like pull me aside and be like, oh, this passage was really interesting. Or like, oh, wow, I really like this, <laughs> this thing that you wrote, which was really, really cool. Um, yeah, definitely recommend having your mom read your books uh, to all the writers out there. It's, it, it can be a very positive experience. Um, and I feel like, like that's very rare because like we've talked to authors where they're like, oh, my parents are proud of me. They, you know, bought multiple copies and gave it to their friends, but they've never read my book. And I feel <laughs> like that's a very common experience. Well, I mean, there are also yeah. authors who we talk to where their parents become their most critical editors. Like, I don't know why you wrote uh-huh. this. You should have done this better. Why is this like this? <laughs> so I think your situation is probably the best case scenario for a parent reading, reading a child's book. <laughs> Um, and it's really cool because like, I think that's kind of the pattern we see too, is just they're concerned because they don't think this is a viable option or a way to, you know, create or make money or be accepted. And the the moment it becomes physical, right? Like for some people, for some of us, it's like being featured in like the ethnic newspaper. And for others, it's like holding like a physical book published by like a major publisher that it becomes like, oh, this is something that was possible for for my kid i just couldn't see it and that's a really cool kind of growth too yeah i mean she definitely is still like all right you, you sh- sure you published one book that's cool but like don't spend too much time on this still <laughs> like you still gotta you still gotta make sure your job is the main most important thing yeah so you mentioned terrace house earlier and it's really funny because when we were pitched your book i in my head, I kept calling it the Terrace House book because not only is the premise like similar because it's like a reality show where you have uh, six characters living together, but also like the cover was very like, oh, this reminds me of Terrace House, like the uh, thumbnail. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, like, who is your favorite cast member from Terrace House? And do you have any favorite moments from the show? Oh, that's a great question. Um... Yeah, so I guess just to give a little background in case any listeners haven't watched the show, it's basically one of those hidden camera shows where six strangers live in a house together, um, going about their daily lives, but with cameras filming them. Um, and so 
Yeah, I guess I've seen almost every episode episode of the show that's on Netflix. Um, but the the season that I think I found most fun to watch um, was probably the most recent one uh, in Tokyo, like leading up to the Olympics. And I think the initial cast was just like really well put together. Um, so there's just like a lot of great dynamics between them. And there is this one character, Ruka, um, who is like, he's like 20 years old. He has like a part-time job. And I think kind of like one of the big dynamics of the show is, is the cast members all differ in age. You have some people who are right out of college, some people who are like in their mid twenties and some people who are close to 30. And so like the older ones will always encourage the younger ones, like follow your dreams and like, um, you know, like keep working hard, uh, like focus on your skills and, you know, that's, what's going to help you in life. Um, so like, they were all trying to do that to this guy, Ruka, who was like the youngest, he was like 20. Um, uh, but I guess like the, the show commentators, um, so yeah, sorry, not to get too into the weeds, but the, one of the other aspects of the show is that there's kind of like some commentators who come on screen every like 10 or 15 minutes to commentate on the sh- what's just happened in the show. Um, and they always make fun of this guy, Ruka, just because he's like not very smart. And uh, like, he always says like silly kind of childish stuff. Like, like so- some people asked him, what is his dream? And his answer was that like, oh, I want to be Spider-Man. Oh my God. And yeah. the other people in I the- totally <laughs> forgot about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the other people in the house are like, oh, you mean you want to like, your dream is like play Spider-Man like on TV or something. And he's like, no, 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 no. My dream is to, to be Spider-Man. My dream is to like shoot webs out of my hands and get bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> and the other cast members are like, well, you know, that's impossible. Right. And like, and it's fake. Right. And he's, he's just like, no, 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 no. But you don't understand. My dream is, is to be Spider-Man. Um, so I, that, I think it's probably got to be him just for like the, just kind of like the childlike wonder, I guess. Yeah. My favorite character from Terrace House is, I say character, but cast member, uh, is Subasa, <laughs> the hockey player who, you know, oh, yeah, has like a heart of gold and, you know, she has like a, a great he has like a great dad who like runs a noodle shop and yeah. i don't know like she was just like so wholesome and her romance with Xion was also like very sweet um and i think one of my favorite moments in terrace house is actually like from boys and girls in the city it's like one of one of the first seasons that they showed on netflix and it's when uh Addisa, the the uh the hat lady the milliner uh, she turns down a date by suggesting they go to Costco. To Costco, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I was like, "This is the this is like the most embarrassing way to turn down a date by saying, yeah, let's go to Costco.'" <laughs> yeah, I remember that our scene. Roommate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guy kept being like, "Oh yeah, you mean you and I can go to Costco, right?" And she's like, "No, no, no, I want everyone to come." <laughs> yeah, like. The thing I really liked about Terrace House was just, you know, it's it's a very calm show. Like, you don't really see the cameras, but at the same time, the cast members are very aware that they are on TV. And sometimes they, you know, fake storylines. And um, I just thought that dynamic was really interesting because you show that in your book as well. You have characters who are pl- purposely playing roles because they know that that is what the viewers want to see or that's what the producers expect from them um did you do any research on reality show production for your book uh you know to be honest i i really didn't i think other than just kind of reading articles about this particular show um so yeah i mean there's kind of like a a, a pretty uh tragic kind of end to this 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 show is like no longer made because um yeah something pretty terrible happened at the end of the most recent season um relating to how the producers kind of like manipulate the storylines in the show um where yeah the the producers like I, like the show is kind of billed as having no script but like it's definitely well known that the um the producers like tell the actors like what to do. They set up scenes. It's just like any other reality show and that it's sort of fake. So I think just generally knowing that 
um, and trying to like have that as a dynamic in the book. Um, you know, that, that's definitely one element that's really drawn from real life. Um, but yeah, I think it's more of just like general knowledge about reality shows that have like seeped in over the years from reading articles, like analyzing the bachelor or analyzing Terrace house, um, and kind of just developing a sense of like, um, yeah, okay. These shows may like build themselves as having no script, but you know, there's some pretty common practices where the producers go in and like tell the people exactly what to do or use the editing to make people turn out a certain way. Um, yeah, I remember like a few years ago, a friend and I used to just send each other articles about the bachelor, like analyzing, like, okay, like, you know, when Rachel is down to like Brian and Pete in that one season, the bachelorette and like everyone's rooting for Pete and they make Brian like seem to be sort of like this meathead, like, what's kind of going on behind the scenes, like things like that, I think like just absorb over the years to, 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 to inform like what goes on in this book. Yeah. I think it's really hilarious how American reality shows are so different from Asian reality shows. Uh, I don't know, like American reality shows, they really play up the drama and I feel like the storylines are very much in your face. And uh, this is just from like a, production standpoint but i always find it hilarious that in like shows like the bachelor or um i guess like uh, i can't think of any anything else on the top of my head but uh they don't eat on camera because it will affect the audio so you see them like talking in a kitchen and i'm like they're not eating all they're doing is drinking alcohol and uh this is a ploy by by the producers to like get them as intoxicated as possible to create uh, less of a filter and more drama. Whereas oh, like with Asian reality shows, I don't know. They like I, I do want to say they're more chill and um, there seems to be less of a script, but that's not true. There's always going to be a script with reality shows. Um, but yeah, like the vibes are very different in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember watching a, I think it was a documentary or like a behind the scenes on The Real World, uh, which is like one of the original, one of these shows, right? Hidden camera shows of young people living in the house together. And um, when they were asked like why they were like in swimsuits all the time, they were like, well, when we're in swimsuits, they can't mic us up. And so that's why oh. like they're constantly just like swimming in that show to have privacy. Oh. I mean, it's it's very interesting, like shows with like The Bachelor and Bachelorette, there's like multiple producers, too. So they have like a stake in uh, like getting their contestant, their star to like get as much screen time as possible. So they fabricate a lot of drama. I'm saying this as someone who like went to film school and did intern Uh on like reality shows. So it's it's just like very funny to to see how much goes into like the manipulation of of like creating a storyline and like, I think it's such, such a fun premise for a book. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you um, tell our listeners about um, the show on your book, um, Hotel California um, that your characters are all cast members of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm not here to make friends um, follows uh, the two girls who go on this teen reality show called Hotel California for a summer Um, So one of them is from Illinois. She grows up in a town where there's not a lot of other Asians. um, And she kind of comes into the show, like looking to find out who she could be in a setting like this, where she isn't as much of an outsider. She's with other um, Asians for the first time and kind of feels like she has something to prove. And then uh, on the other side, we have Yuna, who's from New York. She's grown up in a very cosmopolitan city. Um, has like a pretty good sense of who she is, but is kind of looking to get away from like the claustrophobic in a, in a community like uh, that she is is normally kind of living in, and just be with people who don't have any uh, prior knowledge of her, um, who might have any like negative expectations of her of being kind of like a bully or like a like a mean girl. Um, so the two of them come on the show, and they kind of kind of fitting two of like the classic reality show tropes or like teen drama kind of tropes of like the queen bee and the wannabe. Um, And so they kind of go, when they go on the show, they sort of like start to fall into those types of patterns, getting into small conflicts with each other 
Um, and I would say like the producers of the show are probably kind of encouraging this somewhat. Um, but then kind of the twist is as the, as the show goes on, they kind of start to become aware of the ways they're being manipulated against each other and starting to understand what the producers are doing to manufacture certain narratives on the show um, that kind of fit in with the narratives that they've come into the show having about themselves, but that they want to try to break. So kind of the twist from there is like, like whether or not they're able to kind of team up and work against the show and kind of write their own ending. Um, or if like they'll kind of fall prey to the, to, to what the producers want and give in to kind of their worst uh, tendencies. Yeah, like you have a cast of six in uh, the show Hotel California. And I was just really curious on like why you decided to only write in Yuna and Sabine's POVs when, you know, you could have easily written in six POVs. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it's just because the kind of I've, I've sort of thought of the core of the story as kind of like a variation on this whole like Queen Bee versus wannabes type of story that you see in a lot of um, like, especially for example, like Mean Girls that, you know, I definitely, that's like one of my favorite high school movies. I, I drew a lot of inspiration from that where you have like, um, I think her name's Katie, like Lindsay Lohan's character coming in to this like high school from being homeschooled before, like being like kind of not that cool, but then kind of falling in with like the plastics. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have like Regina George, who's the leader of the plastics. She's like popular She's like kind of like the mean girl and they kind of have that type of like classic high school conflict type drama. Um, but then wanting to play around with that, give more of the perspective of the quote unquote mean girl. Um, and then try to use the reality show setting to like put a twist on that type of story. Um, so that was always kind of like the core story that I had in mind. Um, and so that's why I focused on those two characters. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because in reality shows, they love to pit two women against each other. That's usually like the main uh, conflict in, in any show. Uh, yay, patriarchy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the things I really liked about your book is because you have a cast of six Asian Americans, they're kind of pulled from different uh, geographical locations. You have um, Sabine, like you said, she's from Illinois, you have Yuna, who's from Manhattan or um, or one of the boroughs in, in New York. You have Danny, who is from Texas, I believe, but like went to school in New England. So everybody's kind of from different places. And um, I just thought it was funny how there were these different like differences between like how California Asians are from East Coast Asians and uh, Heartland Asians. So uh, can you tell us like what you believe those key differences are to our listeners? Oh yeah, sure. Oh, I can, I feel like, uh, to give a, a really good answer, you'd probably have to do some type of like academic study of this, but just like from my kind of like, uh, amateur sociological analysis based on just, I live in New York. So just meeting people from all over the country in, in New York, in like kind of different friend groups, I think, okay, starting with West Coast Asians, I feel like West Coast Asians are definitely like, I, I at least in my opinion, like quite distinctive. Um, you know, like, first of all, you have like kind of the general, like California vibes, like um, just like, all right, not to dig too much into stereotypes, but when I picture like a California Asian, I'm thinking of someone who's been drinking boba since they were a kid, you know, wearing <laughs> bands, hanging at the mall with their friends, just like very like comfortable with themselves. Like because a lot of these high schools in the Bay area are like 60, 70% Asian, never really had a problem getting bullied for being Asian. Like always had tons of Asian friends and just like, was always very comfortable with kind of that part of themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that kind of plays a lot into what I sort of see as like the vibe of like a West coast Asian is growing up like, like that kind of, um, and then, so, yeah, I'm from the East Coast. So um, I grew up in Massachusetts in a town that I think it was like maybe 25 or 30% Asian. Um, but like definitely at times when I was growing up, like felt like there was, there was like, we were like enough of a minority that I felt like kind of out of place. 
I definitely got picked on, you know, at times. And so I think like for, I feel like for a lot of us, maybe it's like later in life that we kind of, you know, it's not like we have like, uh, just to name a couple of places around the Bay area, like Milpita square, or like Cupertino village where we can go. And there's just like a, a ranch 99 and like a boba shop with like tons of like other Asian high schoolers there to hang out with. Like, I think you kind of come into your identity a bit later. So, you know, I, it's not like you didn't grow up around any Asians, but I feel like you definitely maybe, um, yeah, it's just like not something that you are like super in touch with, like from the beginning. Right. It's a, it's like, it was probably pretty separated in your life. Like your weekends at Chinese school or, you know, whatever language school versus like your weekdays at, at your main, your, your normal school, like kind of being a different version of yourself kind of. Um, and then it just, I, maybe it's kind of like a spectrum from there. I think I, I have a lot of friends from college cause I went to college in, in the Midwest in Chicago who are from towns in like the Midwest where yeah, Asians are, they were maybe like a couple other Asians in their grade. And, you know, I, I don't think it like necessarily makes a huge difference. Like obviously who you are just, generally like how you were raised like what type of personality you have makes a big difference as well but just like kind of the types of experiences you've had to have like to fit in and to um like make friends uh you also probably just at different times of your life have have had the experience of like not really thinking like feeling feeling bad about being asian or like wishing you weren't so different and yeah it's kind of hard to say exactly if there's like a general way that plays out but i feel like those experiences definitely can, can like still inform who you are, like going forward in, in like different ways. But yeah, I guess hard to say <laughs> like as definitively. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of like anthropology and sociology there. Like, yeah. you know, Asian American history is all about the movement of people. And, you know, because of that movement, where you end up may be a place where there are no other Asians. Like I grew up in Southern California in San Gabriel, the city of San Gabriel. So like, you know, from elementary school all the way to even college in the UC system, I've always been in schools where there were at, at least 40% of the student body were Asian. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until I moved to DC for grad school where I kind of felt like a minority for the first time in my life. Um, but that was also when I've met like other Midwest Asia. One of my good friends from from business school. Um, she's from Indiana, and yeah, she totally grew up as the only only Asian girl in her entire city because her her parents moved there for for work, and she definitely had like a complex with like you know she with like growing up not wanting to be Asian, like wanting to like being getting mad at her mom for putting on Asian snacks when her friends came over and things like that. So I mean, there's definitely something to be said about you know. The because you know when you're growing up, being different isn't actually like not like as an adult. Like I love, we revel in our differences, right? Like we we want to be exceptional in our own way. Whereas when you're growing up, especially in high school or middle school, like being different is like it, it sets you apart from like the the mainstream social groups, and it's kind of like you don't want to be different at all, right? You don't want to stick out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's uh, I, I love asking questions about uh, like geographical uh, differences with uh, with Asian-American experiences, because like Marvin said, he's from San Gabriel. He grew up in the majority. And I just feel like California Asians have like just they're so solid and secure in their identity. Like it doesn't <laughs> even like they don't even think about their Asian identity. It's just like, oh, like that's just part of who I am. Like, I don't really have to think about how I need to navigate the world as uh, as a person of color, as someone who is part of the minority. And uh, for my personal experience, I grew up in the East Coast and also the South. So I have a very different experience compared to Marvin. And it's always just fascinating to me to see like, uh, to just like see the differences. And um, another thing I really enjoyed about your book is how you absolutely nail the Korean church life. <laughs> just like the the way the the mom's gossip network works and how like the kids are uh, kind of pitted against each other. And I think this is also like a very East Coast Asian thing because we are very competitive. I don't know what it is, Maybe it's because of the schools and there's like, you know, the New England elite old money. And we try really hard to like break into 
that class, but competition is like really, really steep. Um, but I, I'm just like curious, like, was that your personal experience, like going to church and dealing with uh, gossip like that? Like, how did you nail that experience so well? Yeah, so I definitely did base that on like my my family went to a Chinese church uh, in, in in Northern California. Actually, I grew up in Northern California. Um, so we went to a church there and definitely my memories from, from there. Um, yeah, th- that's basically what I wrote, like drew from to write the, the scenes in the church in this book. Um, so I think it's definitely exaggerated, uh, in the book, but we, I, don't I definitely, know, man. <laughs> I felt like it was very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I definitely did feel like within the, the church that I grew up in, like maybe not maybe not overtly, but definitely subtly, there was certainly a hierarchy where like, there were like these two uh, sisters who I'm still friends with actually, um, who like were definitely like the two smartest, um, you know, in school and the ones that the parents always talked about and would say like to their, to their, to their mom, you know, like uh, your girls are so smart. Like they're so, they stand out so much. And, you know, like the pastor would ask trivia questions like when, when after, after Sunday school was over, when like the kids and the parents were all back together to eat and like this girl would answer them and everyone would be like, oh, wow, like applauding, you know, like she knows she's like six years old and she knows when the Civil War started, when it ended, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so definitely like ex- it drew on those experiences. Um, and yeah, it's, it's I think just because um when when I was experiencing that, like that was so separate from my main like life in day-to-day school. And it felt so different, you know, like Northern California, it's pretty diverse, but it still has that feel of like when you're at your, when you're at school, like there's not as many Asians and you're kind of in a minority versus when you go to this church, like everybody's Asian, it's like a different world and, you know, different aspects of like your social interactions come out. So, you know, I thought that would be sort of similar for Yuna because in the New York school system, you get shuffled around so much that um, you don't necessarily have consistent friends. I think like throughout your time growing up, you kind of have your elementary school friends, then suddenly you have your middle school friends and you have your high school friends. Like I thought the structure of her life would probably be similar enough that it would make sense to, to draw from that. Yeah. I am really grateful that my family, my parents did not have like a gossip network. Um, we didn't really grow up religious and um, my mom's friends, like she, we, she had one friend with a son my age, but I was always compared to him because she really liked how he cleaned his room and my room was a, always a mess. So that was how we were compared. Just like, why can't you be as clean as this guy? <laughs> yeah. And like with, with comparing notes with, with parents too, I think it's always really funny because like a parent would be like, oh my God, why can't you be like this person for, from church? Like they got into Princeton, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, but at the same time, they're like acting nice to uh, that person and also their parents because they were like, I want this, I want the scoop of like how you got into an <laughs> Ivy League college. I'm like, there's so much politics in it. And um, speaking of politics, I, like most of your conflict in your book is very internal. Like Sabine and Yuna, they misread each other a lot and uh, they're navigating like the the politics and the images from from reality show TVs and uh, they don't really vocalize their true thoughts with each other until they're kind of forced to. Uh, was it difficult to maintain that like silent dialogue between them and to like build up the conflict without like having, I guess, very dramatic scenes where in American reality TV, you have like screaming matches and people who are like pulling each other's hair. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, that's definitely something that I had to work on a lot in the editing process. Like, I think I, my tendency when I'm drafting these things is to probably make it a little too internal, like not overt enough. And so, you know, I definitely wanted to have kind of the dramatic confrontations and like the the big messy scenes that you see in reality TV, um, especially like towards the end of the book, because, you know, like it or not, like that's kind of what why we're watching uh, when it comes to reality shows um, in a lot of cases. But um, yeah, I definitely had to 
work a lot on like trying to sprinkle those in throughout in a way that made sense, but didn't feel like too, I guess, out of the blue, like to try to always build it up gradually. But yeah, I think, you know, like that's just something probably that I need to work on as a writer over time is like figuring out the right balance between having the emotions and kind of the conflict of the book be clear enough, like happening enough on the page that the reader can follow it. Um, you know, like probably fighting my tendency to to just try to make it very like subtexty and yeah. I actually like the subtext because, you know, you're, you see very clearly both characters' internal thoughts. And so I think the conflict is on the reader's side because we just want we just want these kids to talk to each other and like find out they're not like enemies. But they're just all not only are they being manipulated by the whole reality TV setting, but they're also like, you know, they're carrying their own internal um, prejudices with them. Right. Like so being being growing up in the Midwest has all this like internal defense mechanisms built up and you know coming from the korean church world also has similar like defenses right she's her instinct is to attack before she gets hurt right and so um i think i thought it was a really interesting mix because that's what reality tv is right you you put all these personalities together and you watch everything get heightened because of the not only the scrutiny but also the close proximity with each other yeah for sure i, f- I feel like just in life in general like some of your most emotionally transcendent moments are like when you're you're being vulnerable with someone that you care about and just saying like this is who I am this is how I feel and you know please like like I, I'm putting it all in the line for you like please accept it um, but it's like so difficult to do that I, I feel like maybe especially in the modern world where your life is taking you to so many different places for school for work and things like that and so like you know you meet a lot of people but it there's probably fewer people in your life that you really get to know deeply, like over a long period of time. Yeah, I really like the relationship that Yuna had with her mom and also her father, who is uh, in Korea. He's like absent because of work. And just like the kind of resentment that uh, Yuna has for her dad, but is like unable to kind of release it upon him. Uh, I thought that was a really. Um, well-depicted dynamic. Is there a reason why you decided to have that relationship shown in the book? Uh, that's a good question. I guess it's it's all probably just based on different things that I've experienced or seen, different people that I've met, kind of sort of just drawing from like a general well of like situations, you know, because I definitely like know of people kind of that that's kind of their family situation and you know, I'm not having not experienced it myself, but like having experienced other types of conflict or heartache when it comes to my relationship with my parents, I guess it, it just kind of, that's the kind of the dynamic that I thought made sense. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're winding down to the end of our time and, uh, I guess like my final question and I'll give Marvin a chance to ask his final question, but why did you choose Palm Springs as the location for Hotel California? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, to be honest, like, I feel like when I write, like I definitely notice this is when, whenever I write, whatever I'm writing very much reflects what I'm doing at the time or very recently. Like I, if I write something, like I'll probably reference stuff or draw from stuff that like kind of just happened to me. And so at the time when I was writing this book, like it was, it was during COVID, but like right before COVID, I had taken like a trip with my parents to Palm Springs. So like that setting was kind of fresh in my mind, I guess. And, um, I I, like, it's definitely like a, an interesting, um, like mix of, I guess, different things that go on there. There's kind of like the art community that's, that's there. It's like pretty close to Hollywood and LA. It's like, uh, there's obviously all the vacationers. It's definitely like a a, a vacation-y kind of locale. So I think just like the mix of those things, like being fresh from having just gone there, kind of, you know, like I like my tendency is just to like draw from what whatever just happened to me. So that's probably why. I will say as someone who lives in SoCal, I was like Palm Springs and then they're going to downtown LA. That's that's a lot of traffic. And I just couldn't <laughs> help but like calculate like like how long is that commute? Like what time are they leaving? This is only a problem that your SoCal readers are gonna have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I got to I guess I kind of exposing myself a little bit. I'm, I'm definitely like that's I really have not spent that much time in SoCal, just like <laughs> here and there. So, yeah, apologies for, I guess, probably probably some f- factual, you know, inconsistencies as far as <laughs> all the different <laughs> travel back and forth. I've never really experienced like the bad L.A. traffic, even though I've heard about it. It's yeah. I mean, you probably won't get as much on the way to Palm Springs because that is that is going out like way out of the city. Like that's a that's a good, I think, two hour drive typically. So um, it's not until you hit downtown. Downtown is usually where everything congregates because you have like f- wow. like four major freeways just converging in like a city that's not like super efficient with their with their interchanges. I mean, it, it's funny that we're talking about like L.A. traffic because like my my mug right now, I mean. You probably can't read it, but it says I would take the 101 to the 10 to the 405 for you. And that's pretty much (laughs) how like my friend gave this to me as a gift. And I'm like, wow, you're a real one because you would you would battle so much L.A. traffic for me. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) those are the worst ones. Yeah. God forbid if someone asked me to pick them up at LAX, that's how I show my true love for them. You know, Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, Not Here to Make Friends came out a few months ago. Um, are you working on anything else? Like, is, is there another book in the works? Um, are you taking a break? Like, what's what's in the future for author Andrew Yang? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do have another book coming out next summer um, uh, that hasn't been announced yet. Um, so, yeah, I've, I'm kind of wrapping up um, the, the, the work on that. Um, and, yeah, and I'm trying to draft a third book. Um, they're both YA. Um, yeah, just kind of try to keep exploring different aspects of uh, high school. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, congratulations yeah. on your book. Um, good luck on your future books. And um, thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us on Books and Bulba. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It was a lot of fun. And that was Andrew Yang, the author of Not Here to Make Friends, out now at booksellers everywhere, including the Books and Boba um, bookshop. Um, as always, if you buy books from our bookshop, not only do you support the Books and Boba podcast, but also um, your local bookstore. So definitely check it out at booksandboba.com. And as always, another way to support the Books and Boba podcast is to become a patron on our Patreon. Like we mentioned on the top of the show, um, Patreon members get access to our members-only Discord server where you can t- chat with us and fellow club members in real time. Um, and Honey Boba members have access to our monthly bonus episode um, where we were I and sometimes a guest will chat about non-book things that's going on in our lives. So um, yeah, definitely check it out at patreon.com slash booksandboba. Before we close out, I just want to ask a quick question to Marvin because we didn't have uh, time to talk about it or I guess I didn't give him an opportunity to to talk about it. But uh, before we close, Marvin, who is your favorite cast member from Terrace House? I never finished the first season of Terrace House. (gasps) So I only know the first like six people. No wonder you were quiet during the conversation. I (laughs) I thought you were one of us. I I enjoyed the show, but I just um, I don't know. I think I dropped. I think I, I watched like the first three episodes, and then I just never picked it up again. It's one of those things similar to my um, pop culture gap of Ghibli films, where you know I figured I probably would like this show, so I just never went back to it because I figured it was all it would always be there. So yeah, I guess you could add that to my wall of shame of things that I have not watched. I have no words. Wow. You look very this entire time, I thought, no, because I, I thought, because you are someone who consumes reality TV. You watch a lot of Top Chef. So I thought Terrace House was like one of one of your shows. You're the one who recommended Physical 100 to me. So well, I'm yeah. like really shocked right now. <laughs> I like competence porn reality TV. Um, like chill reality TV is fun to watch but it's not something i seek out so i guess that's my excuse (laughs) okay well um so for the month of september we are reading the family chow by lan samantha chang and this is marvin's pick yeah it is a family drama slash murder mystery about a family that runs an americanized chinese restaurant in the middle of wisconsin and the drama that unfolds when the patriarch is found murdered it's been a while since we've had like a chinese restaurant focused book so i'm really excited to dive back into this world um 
always love a good immigrant drama and you know it also has murder so it, it, it checks a lot of boxes for for our podcast's taste yeah you know how much i love murder <laughs> especially cozy murder yeah because this sounds less gruesome than <laughs> some of the other murder mysteries that we've read on this podcast yeah so um as always, if you finished this book already and have thoughts to share with us, please let us know on our Discord or on Goodreads. Um, we always love to include the feedback from our listeners in our podcast whenever possible. So, yeah, looking forward to reading this. Looking forward to chatting about this with all of you. But with that, um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you once again to Andrew Yang for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening.